It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so much for listening. We've got another jam-packed episode for you today. We're going to cover a number of topics in part one. I'll start with a COVID update on our Napoli Femminile and Primavera teams. I'll also quickly cover the third round of the Coppa Italia, the fifth round of Serie B, and the second match day of the Champions League and the Europa League. In part two, we'll review Napoli's win on Thursday against Real Sociedad. And in part three, we'll preview Napoli's match on Sunday against Sassuolo. So let's begin with the COVID update. Both our Feminile and Primavera teams have been hit with the virus. On Wednesday, Napoli Feminile announced that six additional first-team players have tested positive, bringing the total players to seven, and one staff member is positive as well. We know for sure that one of those players is defender Federica Di Criscio. As a result, the entire team has gone into isolation, and training has been suspended until a new round of tests is completed. Similarly, after one of our Primavera players tested positive, Napoli Primavera tested the entire squad and turned up six more positive cases there as well, so they too are in isolation. Staying with the Primavera, the club announced that Aldino Valotti's contract has been terminated by mutual agreement, and Stefano Stefinelli has been hired as the new sporting director. Somehow, with cases steadily increasing in Italy from about 2,500 on October 1st, to 31,000 on October 29th, the Italian government approved an update to the FIGC's COVID protocols that reduces the quarantine period from 14 days to 10 days, so long as the negative test was taken at least three days after becoming asymptomatic. FIGC was also approved to use rapid antigen tests for the mandatory test 48 hours before a match, 
and up to four hours before imagine the event of a positive case. The benefit of these tests is they produce results in 30 minutes. Okay, so let's move on from COVID to actual football. There was a ton of action this week. The third round of the Coppa Italia was played on Monday and Tuesday. There were 16 matches in total, so I won't go through all of them. Only two Serie A clubs did not advance to the fourth round. Benevento lost 4-2 to Empoli. Cristian Maggio scored for Benevento, but a tripletta from Leonardo Mancosu sent Benevento packing, and Spal knocked out Crotone in a penalty shootout. The next round will be played on November 25th, and there are a couple of exciting matches. There will be another Derby della Lanterna, and the winner will play against Juventus. Fiorentina will play Udinese, and the winner of that one will play against Inter. And Napoli will play the winner of Brescia and Empoli. Moving on to Serie B, the fifth round was played last weekend. Empoli and Pisa kicked off the round on Friday the 23rd. Andrea Lamantia scored a brace to help Empoli to a 3-1 win. Empoli wore their very cool centenary kits for this one. If you haven't seen those, definitely go check them out. Kevo beat Monza 2-1. Kevin Prince Boateng opened the scoring from the penalty spot. That's his first for Monza. But Antonio Barilla picked up two yellows in the first half and Kevo made Monza pay for that. Filip Juricic scored a brace in the second half to secure the three points. So Monza are still searching for their first win. Napoli owned Amato Cicciretti came close to scoring his first after dribbling through the Monza backline, but his shot hit the upright and stayed out. This season Pordenone are kind of like the Sassuolo of Serie B and they wear the same colors too. After going down a goal, Davide Dia equalized for Pordenone. That's already his fourth of the season and I'm actually surprised that no Serie A team has picked him up yet. Last season he scored 13 goals and assisted on 8. Then Patrick Churia put Pordenone ahead with a gorgeous left-footed strike from outside the box, but they couldn't hold on. Regina scored the equalizer in the final minute of the match. Salernitana defeated Ascoli 1-0 in the pouring rain. Andre Anderson scored the only goal of the match. Napoli's Gennaro Tutino continues to play well. He came close to scoring his fourth of the season, but his shot deflected off the upright and stayed out. Spal beat Vicenza 3-2. Nicola Del Monte scored a really nice goal to open the scoring for Vicenza with a bending shot from the left side. This was the type of goal that we're used to seeing Lorenzo Insigne score. Del Monte also assisted on the second Vicenza goal, but Mattia Valotti equalized in the 57th minute and Lucas Castro scored the winner from the spot in the 92nd minute after Antonio Cinelli handled the ball in the box. Rounding out the week, Frosinone beat Pescara 2-0, Cosenza drew Lecce 1-1, and Rajana Cittadella and Cremonese Brescia were both postponed due to COVID. Moving on to Europe, our seven Italian teams were back in action in the Champions League and the Europa League. Inter were the first Italian team to play in the Champions League on Tuesday. This was an important match early in the competition against Shakhtar Donetsk, as Shakhtar defeated Real Madrid in their first match. Inter dominated this match, Shakhtar never really looked threatening, but Inter simply couldn't finish. Nicola Barella continues to be one of Inter's best players and one of the best midfielders in all of Italy. He came close to scoring on a few occasions in the first half, hitting the bar once and getting stopped by 19-year-old Shakhtar keeper Anatoly Trubin. Lukaku also came close in the first half, but Trubin pushed his shot off the bar and out. Lukaku was not able to score in this match, so his streak has come to an end. Lautaro's struggles continue. He had the best opportunity of anyone in the match. He had a chance with a gaping goal in front of him, and somehow he missed the mark. So this match ended in a nil-nil draw. Meanwhile, Real Madrid were only able to manage a draw against Borussia Mönchengladbach. 
So after two matches, Shakhtar are on top of the group, followed by Borussia Dortmund, Inter, and then Real Madrid. Atalanta were the second Italian team to play on Tuesday. They drew Ajax 2-2. This match started out looking grim. Ajax jumped to a 2-0 lead, which was worrisome considering they beat Venlo 13-0 the previous weekend. What makes that result even more impressive is that Ajax sold their three best players in Hakim Ziyech, who moved to Chelsea, Donny van de Beek, who moved to United, and Serginho Dest, who moved to Barcelona. But much like Atalanta, Ajax have a reputation for finding gems in the rough. The latest is young striker Lassina Traore, who scored five and assisted three more in the drubbing of Venlo. He scored both goals in this match as well, the first coming from the penalty spot. I thought that was a bit of a soft decision. It appeared to me that Gozens got all ball on the tackle, though I suppose the call was for a dangerous tackle because the boot was quite high. Marco Sportiello cost Atalanta the second goal with some really poor goalkeeping. That was poor timing on his part as Pierluigi Golini returned to Atalanta's squad for this match, so we could see him back between the sticks soon. Duven Zapata scored a brace in the second half to salvage a point, so Atalanta are still in decent shape in the group despite being in a bit of a funk. In their last four matches in all competitions, they have only one win, one draw, and two losses. The match of the day on Wednesday was Barcelona against Juventus. Some of the allure was lost after Cristiano Ronaldo continued to test positive for COVID-19. Both sides were looking to get back on track after disappointing performances in their respective leagues. Barcelona lost El Clasico, though they did get some good news after that. The entire board, including President Bartomeu, resigned during the week. Juve were coming off their second consecutive draw in Serie A, first to Crotone and then to Verona. Andrea Pirlo switched to a 4-4-2 formation with Federico Chiesa on the left and Dejan Kulusevski on the right, but that didn't work either. Barcelona won 2-0 on goals from Usman Dembele and Leo Messi from the penalty spot. Kulusevski had a decent match, it wasn't his best performance and Keza was hardly noticeable. Barca had many opportunities but they were a little too unselfish. Throughout the match they seemed to make one too many passes when a shot might have been the better option. Juventus managed only one shot on target in the entire match. You're not going to win many matches that way. Juve had their chances though, Alvaro Morata had three goals ruled off for offside. The problem with this Juve squad is with Ronaldo out, they don't really have anyone that can come off the bench to make a difference. Pirlo made only three changes and they were all midfielders. Weston McKennie, Artur and Federico Bernardeschi were the three players to come in. Bernardeschi was played at left back where he fouled Ansu Fati in the box. A lot has been made about Ansu Fati who's off to a great start in La Liga but it was another 17 year old that caught everyone's eye. Pedri had an excellent match on the left wing. He had his way with the experienced Cuadrado all night. The final Italian team to play in Champions League was Lazio who had a tough match against Belgian side Club Bruges. Not so much because Bruges are a great team, but rather because Lazio were without a number of key players due to either COVID or injuries. Yet Simone Inzaghi managed to field the squad with only 5 changes to the team that beat Borussia Dortmund. The most notable absentees were Ciro Immobile, Luis Alberto, Manuel Lazzari, Lucas Leva, and Thomas Strakosha. So Lazzari were quite content to walk away from this match with a 1-1 draw. A number of players stepped up. Joaquin Correa scored a really nice goal. He opened up his body to set up the shot, which was hit so well that you wouldn't have known it was with his wrong foot. Andres Pereira had a good second half. He replaced Patrick at the break as Patrick was experiencing dizziness. Patrick committed the foul on Mats Ritz in the box in the first half. I thought that was a very generous penalty awarded to Bruges. 
I know when you look at the replay, Patrick appears to push Ritz, but that exact play happens on nearly every single corner kick. Players push and shove to vie for a position, and it's not like this was called live. VAR reviewed the play before the penalty was awarded. In between the foul and the VAR review, Latsu actually had a decent opportunity, but the ball got tangled in Mohamed Farez's feet. I would have been really curious to see what the decision would have been had Farez scored, but I guess we'll never know. Hans van Aken converted the penalty. Felipe Caicedo fought through an apparent shoulder injury for a good portion of the match before being replaced by Simone Sitz, who made his first appearance with the senior team. Wesley Hoot had an excellent match at the back. Marco Parolo continues to be a valuable player for Simone Inzaghi. First of all, he's very durable. He's played a number of matches since the restart despite his age. And he's versatile. He started this match as a central midfielder, and then in the second half, he played at the back after Inzaghi switched to a four-man back line, which in itself was very interesting. Finally, Pepe Reina made a couple of big saves in the second half, first on Emmanuel Dennis from a tight angle, and then on Ritz on a header toward the bottom corner. Both sides had big opportunities in the second half. Edward Sobol and Van Aken had Reina caught out of the goal, but missed the target. And Simon Mignolet made himself big to stop Sergei Milinkovic-Savic one-on-one after a gorgeous long ball from Francesco Acerbi. So after two matches, Inter are third in Group B with two draws. Atalanta are second in Group D with a win and a draw. Lazio lead Group F with a win and a draw. And Juventus are second in Group G with a win and a loss. The third match of the group stage is next week and then there is a much needed break before the return fixtures commence on November 24th. In the Europa League, Napoli beat Real Sociedad 1-0, which we'll cover in more detail in Part 2. Milan beat Sparta Prague comfortably 3-0. Brahim Diaz had an excellent match, including scoring the first goal. He's on a dry loan from Real Madrid, so Milanisti will be hoping his move can be made permanent. Zlatan Ibrahimovic nearly scored the second, but he hit the bar from the penalty spot. And Diogo Dallo was the star in the second half. He played a gorgeous ball with the outside of his boot to give Rafael Leao a tap in. Then he scored the third, which was Dallo's first goal in the red and black. Finally, Roma drew CSK Sofia 0-0. Chris Smalling made his return for Roma and didn't miss a beat. He scored in the first half, but the goal was ruled off as Henrik Mkhitaryan was offside before playing in the cross. This match was all about missed chances. Roma dominated the first half but couldn't score. Mkhitaryan came close, but his shot hit the bar. The second half was pretty even. Both sides had some really good opportunities, but didn't make them count, and both keepers made big saves as well. Roma also got lucky in the 84th minute. The official stopped play after Gonzalo Villar pulled down Enrique, but Thiago Rodriguez had recovered the ball and continued to break. Had the play not been stopped, then CSK would have been... 2v1 from about midfield. So after two matches, Roma are second in Group A with a win and a draw, Napoli are second in Group F with a win and a loss, and Milan are top of Group H with two wins. After Napoli were the only Italian team to lose in the first week of European competition, Napoli and Milan were the only Italian teams to win in the second week. And as my friend Elaine, who does a great job covering Milan on the Milan Obsession podcast on blog, was quick to point out, Milan were the only Italian team to win both of their matches. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll review Napoli's win over Real Sociedad. (laughs) 
On Thursday, Napoli played their second match of the group stage of the Europa League. This match was played on the eve of Diego Maradona's 60th birthday. Real Sociedad's manager, Imanol Aguacil, made a curious comment in his pre-match conference. He said, Maradona would hardly find space in our training because we work a lot here. David Silva has almost the same quality as him, but he is a hard worker. David Silva has had an excellent career, but that comparison is just ludicrous. Anyhow, here's how it went. So Napoli in the dark strip play from left to right in the first half. No uncertain terms by Koulibaly, and that should be that for the first half. Craig Forson brings the match, at least for this opening period, to a conclusion. Both sides having one very good chance each. Mikel Marino missing with a clear-cut header. Still beating himself up about that. And Mario Rui, after a wonderful third-man run, dinked the ball over the onrushing goalkeeper, but it spun just wide at the far post. Craig Pawson from England, our referee, gets the second half underway. This is the player who came on for him, Lozano. That's the only change we've seen from either side so far. It's Bakayoko. On the Oh, it's in! Politano! Well, it took a deflection, but it was a wonderful strike. And whether the deflection was enough to deceive the goalkeeper, Ramiro, only the replay will tell us, but it was a wonderful shot. Great power from Politano. Osimhen with the challenge. Le Normand certainly felt that. He's already been booked, Osimhen. He had a nervous look at the referee, Greg Pawson, to see if the second yellow was coming. And he has indeed sent him off. Second yellow card for the Nigerian. And referee Greg Pawson brings the match to a conclusion. And Group F in the UEFA Europa League has tightened right up now. So as you heard, Napoli won 1-0 on a goal by Matteo Politano. This was a huge result, knowing that Sociedad is the team we'll be competing with to win the group, and given that we lost to Alkmaar. It was also impressive given the squad we fielded, so let's talk about the lineups first, and then we'll talk about the match. For Real Sociedad, Alguacil made only one change to the lineup that he played in Sociedad's first match in the Europa League, and there were only two changes to what we had predicted. Alex Ramiro started in goal, Nacho Monreal, Modibo Sanyan, Robin Lonormand, and Andoni Gorothabal started at the back. We had Aritz El Sutondo as one of the starting center backs, but apparently he picked up an injury in warm-ups, so Sociedad had to make a late change. Mikel Merino, Ander Guevara, and David Silva started in the midfield. We had Igor Zubeldia over Guevara, and up top, Alexander Isak started at striker with Mikel Oyarzabal on his left and Porto on his right. For Napoli, we were one match too early in predicting the return to the 4-3-3. We thought Gattuso would rest his key players and use the 4-3-3 against Benevento, but instead he did it here against Real Sociedad. So even though we take the Europa League seriously and we still want to win, this was another reminder that Serie A is indeed the top priority. David Ospina started in goal, Kalidou Koulibaly and Nikola Maksimovic played at centre-back, with Elcid Kisai on the right and Mario Rui on the left. Diego Demet, Himui Bakayoko, and Stanislav Lobotka played in the midfield. Andrea Petania played at striker with Lorenzo Insina on his left. 
and Matteo Politano on his right. So the front three and the back four were expected, but the midfield was not. That said, I was fine with it, not because I thought this side would give us the best chance of winning, far from it. There was an obvious lack of creativity in the midfield that you would expect from playing three defensive midfielders. The reason I was fine with it is because I'm thinking big picture, not looking at this match in isolation. Fabian needed a rest. We cannot play him here and then also expect him to play on Sunday against Sassuolo. That decision is based on priorities. I know this is a European competition, but it's not the Champions League, it's the Europa League. And don't get me wrong, I would love to win this trophy, but at the same time, I would gladly sacrifice this tournament to guarantee myself a spot in next year's Champions League. The Champions League is where we belong. I'm not saying we intentionally lose matches, but we have to always think what's going to maximize our chances of doing well in Serie A, and that probably means playing a few backups in the Europa League. I couldn't care less if we embarrassed ourselves by getting knocked out of the group stage. Do you think Lazio feel embarrassed about dropping out last season while they're beating Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League this season? I doubt it. I also saw a lot of people saying that we should have started Zielinski and Elmas. They just returned to training on Monday after nearly a month off. Just because they were in the squad does not mean that they were fit to play. The fact that they didn't even come on as substitutes confirms that, and the fact that Gattuso started Deme, Bakayoko, and Lobotka suggests that they won't be ready to start against Sassuolo either. That's why Fabian was rested, because he will need to start against Sassuolo. The other position that we are suddenly thin at right now is left wing, with Lorenzo Insigne re-aggravating his muscle injury in the 22nd minute. That was really unfortunate. Once again, you could see that Insigne was visibly upset. He was coming off a huge performance against Benevento and was looking really good at the start of this one. He nearly opened the scoring early in the match, and what a goal it would have been. Ramiro took forever to clear the ball, and when he did, he played it straight to Insigne, who dribbled past David Silva and then nutmeg Lenormand before missing the far post. He also made the run and played the pass before the pass on the Mario Rui chance shortly thereafter. After the match, Gattuso told Sky Sport that Insigne told him he stopped in time and he doesn't have the same pain that he had previously, so hopefully this injury isn't too serious. Napoli confirmed on its official website that Insigne has a minor thigh strain. He's expected to miss three weeks with the injury, which means he would miss Sunday's match against Sassuolo, Thursday's match against Rijeka, and next weekend's match against Bologna. Then there's an international break for Nations League, which I assume he would sit out again. Then our first match back is a huge one against Milan, which Insigne would probably miss as well. That week, Europa League returns, so I'm guessing he features off the bench in the return fixture against Rijeka on November 26th, and then starts in the Derby del Sole on November 29th. Chucky Lozano stepped up and played really well in Insigne's place, which was good to see. He ran the entire match right down to the final minutes of added time. He chased down Lenormand in his own corner and won a throw-in, which pretty much sealed the win. That's the kind of effort that Gattuso loves to see from his players, because that's how Gattuso played himself. It's amazing to think that this was the same player who, only four months ago, Gattuso kicked out of training because of a lack of effort. So with that midfield, we didn't create much in the attack, but our defending was very impressive. Everyone was doing their part, which is what we want to see. We saw our attacking players helping out at the back. Insigne, Politano, Lozano, and Petania all made plays in their own end at one point or another. I thought Bakayoko quietly had a very solid match, especially helping out to shut down Sociedad in the second half. 
David Ospina made a few key plays. He made a brave punch in the first half and then made that huge save on Porto in the second half. I thought both of our fullbacks defended well. In our preview, we talked about how important Sociedad's wingers are to their attack, and they really didn't achieve a whole lot. I know Rui had that weird double touch on the free kick in the second half, but defensively, he did fine. Finally, the centre-back pairing of Maksimovic and Koulibaly worked really well once again. Koulibaly was my man of the match. He set the tone early in the match, outrunning a very quick Porto to win the ball in the wing. His positioning was excellent. He made a number of interceptions throughout the match. His ball distribution was very good as well. He was quick to get the ball off his feet, including in the build-up to the goal. And like Lozano, he ran to the very end. In the final minute of the match, he chased down John Bautista on the wing to win possession, and Bautista had fresh legs. With so many players on short rest, I think Gattuso's game plan was to hold Sociedad off, hope for a goal, and if it didn't come by the midway point of the second half, then bring in Osimhen and Mertens and switch to the 4-2-3-1 to go for the win. That goal did come, so Gattuso still brought in the same players but switched to the 4-4-2 to protect the lead and go for a second on the counterattack with the pace of Osimhen and Lozano. And not to belabor the point, but once again we saw Gattuso's tactical acumen beyond being simply a motivator. The last thing I want to touch on is Victor Osman's yellow cards. For those who don't know, Osman came on as a substitute in the 61st minute, picked up his first yellow in the 81st minute for descent, and then picked up a second yellow 10 minutes later. So Osman will miss the next match on Thursday against Rijeka, which is fine. He probably wasn't going to play in that match anyway. Now, match official Craig Pawson really let the players play in this match. Normally, I like that. Too many stoppages disrupts the flow of play, but I think there were a number of calls that should have been made on both sides that weren't. The obstruction foul on Lozano in the second half is one that comes to mind. On Osman's first yellow, Lenormand jumped on his back to win the ball in the air and no foul was called. Then Osman chased down Ander Berenicea and fouled him, but if the first foul is called, then Osman doesn't get that yellow. The second yellow was a bit odd. First of all, Pawson took a while to show the yellow. Second, on the camera angle from behind, it looks like the foul was intentional, but on the angle from in front, it looks like he was just vying for a position to win the header. Whether it was intentional or not, Osman knew that he caught Lenormand because he stopped playing even before the whistle, which is usually a dead giveaway. Then he gave Lenormand an apologetic tap on the shoulder. Players typically are overly apologetic when they're trying to avoid being booked. And finally, after being shown the yellow, he didn't complain a whole lot. He just calmly walked off the pitch. So we'll be without Osman for the third match, but that might actually be a blessing in disguise. That means that for the next little while, Osman can focus on Serie A, starting with Sassuolo, which we're going to preview in part three. Pasa, 
americano, americano. Ma si nati in Italia, si entra a me non c'è sta niente a fa. Ok, Napolitan, tu vuoi fare l'American, tu vuoi fare l'American. In the final part, we'll preview Napoli's upcoming match against Sassuolo on Sunday. Sassuolo has been a fun team to watch for the last little while. Roberto De Zerbi has his team playing very attractive football. Sassuolo are currently tied with Napoli on 11 points with 3 wins and 2 draws. That's good enough to be their best start in 5 seasons. However, I think these results may be a little bit misleading. So far this season, Sassuolo have played against Cagliari, Spezia, Crotone, Bologna, and Torino, which is not exactly the cream of the crop. Those five clubs have combined for a record of four wins, five draws, and 15 losses. And yet, despite playing against three of the bottom four teams and five teams who are all in the bottom half of the table, Sassuolo have still managed to concede 16 goals, which is more than any other club in Serie A. Sassuolo had to come from behind to earn results in their two most recent matches, both times they fell behind 3-1. Against Bologna, they scored three goals between the 64th and 77th minutes, and then against Torino, they needed two goals in the 84th minute and beyond just to get a draw. Sassuolo are also without some really important players. I actually had to redo this part, as while we were recording, Sassuolo released their squad list, and Domenico Berardi, Ciccio Caputo, and Filip Juricic were not in the squad. Those are huge losses. Obviously, Berardi and Caputo are key parts of that attack, and Filip Juricic has really come into his own this season, especially in the last few matches with Gregoire Defrel being out due to injury. That changes everything. All three of those players are key parts of the Zerbi squad. That doesn't mean this match will be a walk in the park. As much as Sassuolo love to attack and as much as it's not the Zerbi style, with these players out of the lineup, it wouldn't be a huge shock to me if the Zerbi tries to do what Alkmaar did. I just don't know if the Zerbi actually could play Catanaccio. It's completely the opposite of his usual style. Despite the losses, Jeremy Boga is back, so he'll definitely be relied upon for goals. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. The Zerbi uses a 4-2-3-1 formation as well. Andrea Consili should start in goal. The Zerbi's preferred back four includes Vlad Cirichis and Gianmarco Ferrari at center back and Giorgos Kyriakopoulos and Jeremy Tolian at fullback. However, Tolian has missed the last few matches after testing positive, so Mert Muldur and Khan Ehan have been covering for him. I'll give the start to Muldur. Manuel Locatelli is just about guaranteed to start in the double pivot, but the Zerbi has tried different players next to him. Pedro Obiang played the first two matches, then Meti Barabia played the next two, and Maxime Lopez played against Torino. So I'll stick with the trend and give Lopez another start. Up top, I think we'll see Gregoire Defrel play in the number 10 spot in place of Juricic. Jeremy Boga will play on the left, and I think Federico Ricci will get his first start at right wing in place of Domenico Berardi. Up top, I think Gianluca Raspadori will play at striker. For Napoli, expect Gattuso to use the 4-2-3-1 as well. I think the keeper position is a toss-up, but I'm leaning towards Davido Spinas. Gattuso prefers to use him in bigger matches, so Alex Meret will probably play midweek against Rijeka. At the back, we should see Kaladu Koulibaly get his fifth consecutive start in about two weeks, but he's showing no signs of slowing down. I suspect he'll get his rest day midweek, but again, this match is too big to miss. I have a feeling that Gattuso is giving Koulibaly the choice to play or not, just like he does with Insigne. Also, Koulibaly is playing at an extremely high level, and I don't think Gattuso wants to disrupt that rhythm. Kostas Manolas should play alongside Koulibaly. I really like this rotation between Manolas and Maksimovic. It protects Manolas from injury, and it gives Maksimovic some time to play. 
I'm sure Maximovich wants more regular playing time, but we're a little too stacked at center back at the moment. Napoli almost always sign their replacement players before selling the player being replaced. I think that was the plan with Koulibaly this summer, which is why we bought Rachmani in January, but COVID got in the way of this plan. At the end of the day, I'm very happy to still have Koulibaly. Thankfully, both Koulibaly and Gattuso handled that situation very well, despite the Laurentiis basically saying that he should have sold Koulibaly when he had the chance. At the time, Koulibaly said he would love to stay, but he understands the situation. And Gattuso said selfishly he wants Koulibaly to stay, but he too understands that the financials are a very important part of it all as well. After the Sociedad match, Koulibaly reiterated that he loves Napoli and he knows that Napoli loves him. Unfortunately, that has left Amir Rachmani waiting on the sidelines for his turn. I don't think we're going to see much of him this season. I helped out our friend Rick Hoff with a few sentences for this week's edition of a weekly English column that he writes for Hellas1903.it. This week, Rick wrote about some of Verona's players from last season that have moved on, including Sofian Amrabat, Marash Kumbula, Matteo Pessina, Fabio Borini, and of course Amir Rachmani. What I told Rick is, with the wealth of talent we have at centre-back, I don't think we'll see Rachmani feature until perhaps the start of the Coppa Italia, but he provides a great depth option. With such a busy schedule, we'll certainly be more prone to injuries as well. By the way, Rick published a new book a few months ago called Notes from Verona, chronicling life in Italy during the pandemic. Rick is a fantastic writer, so definitely check that one out. Back to the lineups, I think we'll see Elsie Kusai. I mentioned last time how Mario Rui is a much better fit with the Insignia in the lineup, whereas Kusai provides a better defensive option. Giovanni Di Lorenzo rested midweek, so he should return at right back. Likewise, Fabian got a much-needed break midweek. He only played the final few minutes against Real Sociedad, so he'll return for this match. I'm very curious to see who he is paired with in the double pivot. I've seen some suggestions that Zielinski will return. They were the duo in the double pivot when both were healthy. But as I said in part 2, I don't think Zilu is ready for a start yet. I think he'll play about half an hour off the bench, then play the full 90 against Rijeka, which to me is the perfect way to ease him back into the lineup. Gattuso used Bakayoko against Atalanta because he wanted his size to deal with the Atalanta attack, but Bakayoko has played two matches in a row and Sassuolo's attacking players are much smaller, so I'm leaning towards one of Diego Demme or Stanislav Lobotka to start next to Fabian, which provides a bit more balance. I'll take Diego Demme to start in this one. There's not much to debate about the front four, with Insignia Hurts, Chucky Lozano will play on the left. There's no way that Lozano can play the full 90, so I wouldn't be shocked to see if Elmas replaces him off the bench. I think Elmas will get the same treatment I suggested Zielinski will, which is to play about half an hour off the bench in this one, and then start midweek against Rijeka. Matteo Politano will start on the right wing. We don't really have another backup winger, so it's possible that Elmas replaces Politano instead, and Gulam replaces Lozano on the left. That's far more likely if we have a lead, and would likely happen simultaneously with a change in formation to the 4-4-2. Dries Mertens only played 58 minutes against Benevento and a half an hour against Real Sociedad, so he'll be fresh to play as the number 10. And with Victor Osimhen on a red in the Europa League, I think he'll play the full 90 at striker. So to recap, I have David Ospina in goal, Kusai, Koulibaly, Manolas, and Di Lorenzo at the back, Fabian and Deme in the double pivot, Lozano and Politano on the wings, and Mertens behind Osimhen in the middle. Maurizio Mariani is the head official, Damiano Di Lorio and Marco Scatrali are his linesmen, Ivano Pezzuto is the fourth official, and Francesco Forno is on the VAR assisted by Pasquale De Meo. 
For my prediction, I'll give Napoli a 2-1 win on a brace from Victor Osimhen. I think Sassuolo are really going to miss those attacking players. They still have useful backups, but nowhere near the quality of Berardi and Caputo. If we can shut down Jeremy Boga, who himself is just returning to form, then Sassuolo are going to have a hard time scoring goals. Meanwhile, we are back to having a completely healthy squad, so Gattuso will have lots of options to choose from if things are not going as planned. The key for this team will be to have the right mentality, regardless of what's happening with Sassuolo's squad. We saw how flat we looked against AZ Alkmaar, so we don't want to repeat a performance like that, especially in Serie A. So that's our preview of Napoli Sassuolo. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ForzaNapoliPod. We'll talk to you again after the match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.